My number one album. Big shocker to me. Also folklore. Whoa. Are you ready to dive into all things Taylor Swift? Good for a Weekend is the ultimate podcast for any Swiftie. With new episodes dropping bi-monthly, as well as bonus episodes to give you real-time reactions to the latest rumors and news, it's your one-stop shop for all things T-Swift. We also love connecting with our fellow Weekenders, so be sure to connect with us on Instagram, Twitter, and or Discord to share all your Taylor thoughts. Good for a Weekend is available wherever you get your podcasts. I know. Well, just is that like it's a perfect album when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week you can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping kroger worth it every time Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Consequence Podcast Network. Hello, and welcome to the Spark Parade, where I geek out with artists and entertainers about their cultural spark of inspiration. I'm Adam Unz at Spark Parade on all social media. Thanks ever so much for joining me. Uh, It's a big week here at Spark Parade HQ because my guest is Margaret fucking Cho. What? What is happening? Uh, Why? Why did she agree to talk to me? Was she lost or something? Uh, But seriously, what a dream come true. She is a fucking icon. She's hilarious. She's amazing. I had so much fun, and I can't actually believe that it happened. Uh, We spoke about Margaret's Spark, which is Todd Haynes' Queer as Fuck, Glam Rock Fantasy, Velvet Goldmine. Oh my god, I loved talking to her. Uh, Wanna hear it? Okay, your wish is granted. But first, quick Margaret facts. Margaret Cho is a comedian, actor, musician, advocate, entrepreneur, and five-time Grammy and Emmy nominee. Her recent television appearances include The Flight Attendant, Hacks, and the movie Fire Island. She is currently on her live and livid comedy tour, and you can, and should, grab tickets at margaretcho.com. Quick Velvet Goldmine facts. Velvet Goldmine is a 1988 musical drama film written and directed by Todd Haynes and starring Jonathan Reese Myers, Ewan McGregor, Christian Bale, and Tony Collette. It is set in Britain during the glam rock days of the early 1970s and tells the story of fictional bisexual pop star Brian Slade, loosely based on David Bowie, who faked his own death. It was nominated for the Palme d'Or at the 1998 Cannes Film Festival and won the award for Best Artistic Contribution. And there you have it. Let's jump into the fun stuff. Here comes my chat with Margaret Cho about Velvet Goldmine. Do you remember seeing Velvet Goldmine for the first time, being told about it? Yes, I remember hearing about it before it came out in the 90s, thinking, what what an amazing thing. It's a biopic, basically, of David Bowie, who was my favorite artist for such a long time and still is and about his affair with Iggy Pop or not or the alleged sort of thing happening with Lou Reed the bisexuality of glam rock 70s made by Todd Haynes who is like also one of my very favorite filmmakers since Superstar 
So it was like um, this amazing project with kind of the actors of the moment who are, are still incredible to this day, you know, and um, everybody in it is great, um, whether it's Ewan McGregor or Jonathan Reese Myers or um, Christian Bale, of course, and Tony Collette, who people sometimes don't think about when she's great in this. Amazing. And so I remember hearing about it when it came out. I regrettably, for whatever reason, didn't get to see it in the theater. I don't think it played in the theater for very long. I think that was sort of mired in controversy when it did come out because David Bowie was like adamant about this not being his story. It's not an authorized biography. You know, it, I think, had some problems in that regard and a pretty niche film in a way. So I guess... Maybe it's one of those things where it wouldn't have had a long run in a theater, although I would have loved to see it in a theater. I never have. But I have seen this film, I can honestly say, a couple hundred times. Wow. At the very least. Wow, wow. <laughs> I absolutely love this movie. There are certain movies that I just watch as like a comfort film. It's like a comfort thing. If I'm feeling dysregulated or uncomfortable, I will put this movie on as a kind of meditation. Also, not readily available streaming all the time. I've had this film a couple of times on DVD. There's no Blu-ray. There's no commentary track. I feel like people really overlook this film. You know, and there may be reasons because I, I absolutely love Todd Haynes. I think that this is kind of like the best of all of his rock and roll films. He has pretty great rock and roll films. This is my favorite of his. Also, my favorite Todd Haynes film anyway. But... um. So I had known about it before it came out. Didn't get to see it in theater. Have seen it so many times. It doesn't really matter at this point. Yeah, yeah. I actually did see it in the theater and watched it again for this. And that was the first time I'd seen it since I saw it in the theater 25 years ago or whatever. But um, I think all of those things you said about this, you know, these kind of avatars for glam rock um, icons and having this kind of almost like there is something kind of supernatural, you know, there's all these things about like otherworldly things happening. The uh, brooch that um, Oscar Wilde owns that kind of gets passed down through the generations, all of those kinds of things. That There's this kind of magical queerness that's infused through the whole thing that I really love. But also just having a movie that in 1998 was totally unapologetically queer, had, you know, scenes uh, like there's an 18 second kiss between Ewan McGregor and Jonathan Rhys Myers and an unapologetically queer movie made by an unapologetically queer director and something that was like so rare and so needed at that specific time. Um, you know, there were so few cultural examples of things that were that overtly queer, at least to my memory. So that was always a really special, important thing for me about it. Beautiful. It's beautiful. It is so unapologetically queer. And it shares a lineage with a lot of John Schlesinger's films, uh, in particular Midnight Cowboy, and also some. Uh, there's some Darling in there. Um, there's a lot of queer moments in Darling, which is another one of my favorite comfort films. That they have the sort of man on the street, this like verite images of kind of society happening simultaneously. So you see sort of media existing, and uh, there's a lot of that in Velvet Goldmine, where you see the press commenting on what's going on, and then you see the little girls playing with the dolls, which is a nod to Superstar, acting out these kind of dramas between these rock stars 
as I think it, it we you know would have really happened. So you have media happening on every level, not just in the news, but also in like what the kids are doing and talking about it, and the what the kids are saying when they're going to these shows, and um, the queerness, the eroticism. I think you do see some of you in McGregor's butthole at some point. Yeah, and his dick. You see his dick all over the place. <laughs> I mean, Kurt Wilde is a great rock star. It's a touch of Gigi Allen, but not so far. You know, you don't get the feces, <laughs> uh, but you get it, it is Iggy Pop. But I'm not sure if Iggy Pop actually, you know, showed dick and hole. So I don't know. Um I'm not I don't I was not at the early Stooges show, so I cannot attest. But um, it's it's a little bit of this great thing. And it's these actors also in that real blush of male beauty, you know, that, that real they're all incredibly great looking guys. But at the time, this is like male beauty. It, it is the the essence of the, this is when you want to be photographed. You know, and so Todd Haynes does a beautiful job at, at capturing the bloom of youth in these three guys. Yeah. I mean, just Jonathan Reese Myers was 19 and all of them, you know, were it was pretty early on in their career. I guess Ewan McGregor had just done train spotting, so he was kind of a, a hot commodity. But Jonathan Reese Myers, he is so good as a Bowie avatar, but he's also there's just like this extra layer of kind of cherubic prettiness he's just like very androgynous but these like full lips and just this very kind of you know baby model face or something um that yeah it, it's just so striking seeing all of those people being so young they're all such babies tony collette as well just really so like, great mm, yeah. such a baby but jonathan reese myers what i think is so it's interesting about his performance is you can feel the ambition oozing off of this character, that that's the sole purpose of his beauty, his intellect, his sexual prowess. Everything is there to serve the ambition that really derives that character. And, um, you know, I think that's really extraordinary, you know, for such a young actor to have that maturity to portray that underneath all of the beauty and the feathers and the boas and the sparkles and the glitter and the guitars. Now you have um, this incredible drive to be famous. Yeah. Yeah. And the kind of fearlessness from all three of those young men playing these very queer characters and just throwing themselves into it. Like, you know, ostensibly they're all straight who knows? I'm going to project my own feelings onto people, but um, I'm assuming. And the, you know, sometimes when straight actors take on queer roles, it's like, you don't really know what queerness is and it, <laughs> it doesn't quite come across. But all of these people, I, I just really felt their dedication to their performances and it all felt really real and really grounded in like the reality of queerness. Yes. And I love that. I, I think that's testament to Todd Haynes's skill as well. Yeah. I mean, it, it really comes through and especially like Christian Bale too, who I really perceive his hetero. He is like the most comp het. Like I just see him as a straight guy, no matter what. But in this, I, I love the scene where he's like kind of hiding in his jacket. He just wants to go outside wearing that scoop neck top and it's so darling yeah where he's like hiding his jacket and then going and like walking down the street really in his it is gender euphoria it is this thing of like i'm going to be myself for the first time and it's really remarkable so i uh 
I really love his performance. And there is such a romance in this kind. It's not quite a love triangle. It's more just like a love story, sort of a fan story, somebody growing up alongside these rock stars and then some some interaction later. But it's... uh, and a really interesting kind of way to tell the story. In a sense, it's um, a little bit of a queer, almost famous. There's a little element of that where you have the journalist that's following along and the relationship to the music that it's all the passion. And then you have the imagery of real queer rock happening, like Joe Bryath mm-hmm. and glam rock in general going on during that period. So I, I just love it. And then the the soundtrack also is another element where I was so inspired by all of these sort of glam sound alike songs, as well as the real songs. You know, they have like Roxy Music, of Virginia Plain, which is like the ultimate glam song in there. But I um, loved the whole shebang by Grant Lee Phillips so much that I forced Grant to be in a band with me where we actually did a song that was a sound alike of Holzerbang. It's called Eat, Shit, and Die, and it's on my Toe Dependent record, and we made a whole video and everything, and Grant and I have made a lot of music together, but the the initial genesis of that is because of this film. Wow, that's amazing. Um, And also, the amount of references to other queer stuff and just references. Do you know that it's like that loosely follows the story structure of Citizen Kane. Like I read that in one place and I was like, fuck off. That's not, that's not real. But it's <laughs> everywhere. He, Todd Haynes says it, that there's like um, all of these little like beats that are following kind of a similar story to um, Citizen Kane, which is wild. Right. I, that makes sense to me because it is, um, I think it's the hat pin or <laughs> the Jack Ferry's right. pin. That is Rosebud. Mm-hmm. That makes, I mean, it absolutely makes sense because this is like a tale that is as old as time, really. The tale of like humans achieving power over other humans and how we go about that. And it, so it is a really kind of mythological tale anyway. And and so that, that definitely makes sense to me. And then, you know, the references to Oscar Wilde, the references to Jean Genet, all of these like you know, incredible uh, icons of queerness. And then also just being its own thing. There are these very specific references to like individual Bowie looks, um, Iggy Pop looks, but then a kind of unique spin on it. There were things like the notes I took. There's one look that looks like a combination uh, somewhere between Prince and Beethoven. Yes, yes. It's yes. Yeah. Just why like totally delicious. Love it. It's so it is. It's like Mozart in that, like, you know, the musical genius and that the fetishization of the musical genius. Mm-hmm. And that's um, when uh, Jonathan Reese Myers character is singing hot one and he's singing into the stargazer lily that's blooming as he's singing, into it, which is like my favorite thing ever. Like, of course, the flower is going to bloom as you sing into it. it, it it's just <laughs> such a delicious image and i just love that song um and that that the music video of it and the um the way that he's dressed and everything you know it is the perfect he would have been a great rock star if he could probably still do that he could probably still do it it's just so genius time for a quick break because somebody's got to keep the lights on around here but we'll be right back 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And my other favorite was like the, where he's got green makeup and kind of jewels on his face. It's like a little bit giving Jombie from Pee Wee's Playhouse, but in the yes. best, you know, most glamorous possible way. It's very Jombie. It's also a San Francisco drag queen who did that look, Greg Deborah Taylor, who uh, was a very legendary, uh, glad person, very big activist in San Francisco, big writer. And also a little bit Doja Cat from uh, this uh, very recent look of like all the red jewels. So, um, yeah, I love the glamness of it. Um, but it's all like the styling to me is really interesting because when you have the glam juxtaposed to Christian Bale's characters, like drab plaid sheepskin kind of like thing where he's like underneath all of that is all the little rock and roll badges and the low cut shirt. And then later he gets the shag haircut and the, eye, you know, the eye makeup. It's really not just the glam of the the era. It is like the people trying to emulate the glam of the era. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which, you know, uh, is perfect. It's like uh, exactly what did happen with, um, you know, people who are fans of, of the glam rock superstars. All of that is amazing. And then the other side, the sort of real world Christian Bale side of everything that's like, you know, him being a journalist, but also uh, his home life with his family, that the moment where he is watching TV and sees the uh, Jonathan Reese Myers on TV and jumps up and just screams, that's me, that's me. Yeah. It just yeah. kills me. It's like that, that moment of recognition. I mean, I think that any queer person, anyone who's from any marginalized or underrepresented community, having that recognition, seeing someone who reflects who you are in some form of mass media is this revelation. And oh, it just like brings tears to my eyes. It's so, yeah, so amazing. It's so beautiful. It is, be- it is beautiful. It is like, I wonder if that's what Todd may have felt when he saw Bowie on top of the pop, put his arm around Mick Ronson, you know, and then it's a very sexualized, like, embrace. But it is, that's me. It's the queerness on display in plain sight with your family in a very innocent context in the same way that shows, like, the validation of existence. It's really beautiful. Yeah, and uh, uh, another thing that I really loved, I mean, I know this is not exactly the same time period, but when I think of queer movies of like the late 90s and early 2000s that are made by straight people. Brokeback Mountain being uh, a movie that at the time I saw it and I was just like, I don't need any more movies about how sad it is to be queer. I don't need any more movies about how being queer means that you're going to die or you're going to have the love of your life and the love of your life is going to be beaten to death. Fuck off. I want joy. Yeah. And with this movie, it's like, he says this stuff in front of his parents. His parents kind of go, like, they don't really understand. (laughs) But that's as far as it goes. It's like more about the joy of him finding his community, his chosen family, the people who he identifies with. 
and um you know infusing the story with that energy it's yeah it that's what i need yeah i love it i love it yeah we we're we're so exhausted from gay tragedy we see enough gay tragedy in our lives every day we see enough of it so when we go to the movies and gay people love the movies i would say more than most yeah. So we love the movies. And when we can actually like have a good time in the movies and sort of leave all of the tragedy behind for a moment, it's so rewarding. And this film really offers that because there is sort of the glitz and glam, you know, when he goes and now he's going to be managed by Eddie Azard. So he's get, get they get real glam up, at, you know, taking the photo shoot on the mansion and they're doing all these sort of things. It's that 70s when the 70s wants to be in the 30s, that aesthetic, it, it just blends so beautifully. It's a great cinematic experience. Yeah. And also just the fact that it mirrors this fantastic period in with music and culture when androgyny or playing with gender and playing with sexuality was becoming a part of the mainstream and you had these people like David Bowie who I like I cannot describe how much I love him just the fearlessness and the the pride the the you know he just oozes confidence and just really doesn't give a fuck, just wants to, you know, just wants to be as creative and expressive as he can be. And it was, you know, the way that his career moved throughout his life, that it was constant change, constantly trying to drive, push himself forward. I mean, right up until he died, he was doing yeah. amazing new things. So amazing, even including backtracking mm. in the 80s, where it sort of became this very, like, I am now this corporate rock star. I'm now very mainstream, you know, and it's a really interesting incarnation when there's some nods to it in the film where it's like, oh, he's completely unrecognizable to what he was before, but still great. And it's just so like to me, it's a really fun way to play with that legacy of like, well, let's turn around and do something different. It is that rock star re reimagining. And I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and as you said, like he kind of wasn't too interested in, in the movie and he didn't give them the rights to the music. Although I read interviews with the cast that said maybe that was a good thing, that it might have been too much of a distraction if you had it like a little too on the nose to have Jonathan Reesmeyers actually singing David Bowie songs. But the music that is in it, like all of these crazy people were involved, like Tom York and Johnny Greenwood, all, like incredible incredible musicians all lending their voices and um helping to to collaborate to make this music so um it all worked out for the best i think yeah and also digging up really great glam favorites so mm. like dead finks don't talk you know when you whenever you put in some brian you know whenever you're you're doing you know uh needle in the camel's eye is probably one of my favorite songs and it's the best opening sequence where you see the, the glam kids running to the concert I love a running in a rock and roll movie. Like you have it in this, from from this to Licorice Pizza. Licorice Pizza probably has the most running of any movie, but there is so much running in this movie. You, I want to run to this this glam concert. I want to go run and see Ziggy and, and the spiders from Mars. You know, I want to be running with the platform shoes and the, the feather boa flying behind and that you might drop your top hat, but you're going to run back and get it. I love that. Yeah, and also... 
the like exhilaration and kind of manic energy coming from all these kids who are so excited about this music and so excited about the fashion and all of the things that go with it. And then the devastation of having him fake his own death on stage, which again is like obviously directly mirrors what Bowie did with Ziggy Stardust, which is like, to my mind, one of the most badass epic things that any rock star has ever done where like i don't think he even told the band it was just like he went on stage and was like oh by the way this is done now and i'm never doing this again bye so incredible yeah it's so incredible and it can only happen in the context of glam rock because it never really works in any other context like when um you know with chris gaines Mm, yeah when garth brooks tried to do it with chris gaines (laughs) yeah it just for some reason it just, it is a glam rock specific kind of thing. Maybe because glam rock is so alien and is so about persona and mask and playing a role and the actor creating something and it being very conscious. I'm not sure. There's something about it. It really can only exist there. Yeah. And it is, you know, specifically with Ziggy Stardust, it's like it is this other person i mean i i I would say a character but i think it was more involved than that it was like Mm -hmm. he had created this whole life for this person that he was being on stage yeah and then just again the 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 balls on him to just at the height of his fame when people are just going absolutely apeshit about that saying nope moving on it's incredible. And it's it's something that I think we're going to keep. That's why it's the music is still so iconic. That's why it's almost separate from the rest of Bowie's catalog, in a sense. You know, if you look at his discography, we're going to always look at Ziggy Stardust as this ex- separate identity and one that's actually so uh, ahead of everything, above everything. It's, it's really interesting. It's because he framed it like an artist should. Right. And then, you know, I, there's this BBC docu-series where they did one episode with him right after I think it was like when he was about to go on tour for Young Americans and just hearing him kind of talk I mean like high as a fucking kite the whole time so that was definitely a part of it but um like there's a, a thing with him just like sitting in the back of this uh limousine and being asked questions about like um making that monumentous decision and whatever and he's just kind of like hmm like it's not a big deal you know just just moving on it just, you know he's just drinking some milk and eating peppers and <laughs> right right yeah we gotta do other stuff you know which is uh his prerogative um i and i love the young americans era as well it's very different energy very different music it's a totally different artist completely right so i i love all of it but ziggy stardust is my favorite yeah yeah and you know i think the the Again, the tie in with this era and this film, not not just the David Bowie stuff, but Iggy Pop and um, Lou Reed a little bit in there as well, that people who were either queer or like on the edges of queer or cool with queer people, um, you know, I don't I think Iggy Pop pops pretty, pretty straight. But the way that Ewan McGregor convey that kind of energy that it's like again this a different kind of fearlessness where it's just like absolutely no inhibitions not really playing a character but just you know bearing his not just his body but his soul just really letting everything fly on stage and the way that david bowie's energy and iggy pop's energy 
could be seen as in opposition to each other, but also were very complementary. And I find all of that stuff fascinating too. I mean, the time that they spent together and the work that they did together really, yeah. It's beautiful. It's legendary. And it's also like Ewan McGregor's performance, it's this, it's a cross between Iggy Pop and what's the drummer from The Monster? That No, The Muppet Show. It's a- <laughs> Animal. <laughs> yeah. Animal. It's very animal. And also, you know, it's just like, it is about like, what is rock and roll? underneath it all it is like this communication with another world it is like this this that you know you're making a deal with the devil we don't know what's going to happen you know and so it's that kind of like whatever that is that alchemy that is created with like guitars and like drums and and these vocals collide like what happens and you know so that to me is like per real magical yeah and also a, a little bit in the scenes where he's in the studio and ends up kind of freaking out because he's doing all these takes that nobody appreciates. A little Kurt Cobain, um, there's like... Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I was thinking, like, is that an intentional reference because it's not somebody who's from that time period? But I think it was, and I also think that it fits. Like, Kurt Cobain... It fits. It totally fits. Yeah. yeah. Because he looks like mm. it, too. Like, he's styled quite like Kurt Cobain. I think that must be intentional too, the way that he looks. And that Kurt Cobain himself also had a very feminine side that he was not afraid of. Yeah. And not afraid to uh, investigate and go into. And he wasn't afraid to feminize himself in any way because he didn't need to show off with the sort of like toxic masculinity of the, the sort of cock rock of the previous era from the 80s so he was just very um secure in his masculinity it was kind of a new kind of masculinity so i do think that there is some kurt cobain in there yeah yeah having men in rock and roll who have you know it, it is very masculine there there is uh you know it is a a version of masculinity and there's a spectrum there in this movie and in the, the artists of that time and in Kurt Cobain. Um, but not only presenting a really authentic version of queerness, but presenting a very authentic version of what it means to present masculinity and, you know, ways that you can reject masculinity when you are, uh, you know, a cis man. That all of that stuff combined with the music, with the cast, with this, you know, beautiful set de decoration and costumes and makeup and all of that stuff. It's just ah, good stuff. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love the 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 opening. It's all about, you know, Oscar Wilde. And it's kind of a misdirect, like, what is this movie and what's going on? And it it really ties it all together. And it's really about this fantastic fairy tale of rock and roll and love and ambition and glitter it's it's really a, a really important film for me and uh it's one of the reasons why it's like i've seen it so many times but it's just every time i see it it just puts me in a comfortable state of mind yeah i think that is a a lovely note in which to finish um yes thank you so much what a joy this has been really really wonderful so wonderful take care thank you Bye-bye. How fucking incredible was that? Thank you so, so much to Margaret for inexplicably agreeing to slum it with the likes of me. Get tickets for her live and livid tour immediately at margaretcho.com. Okay, 
Quick spark of the week from me. I finally got around to watching HBO's documentary series Last Call, which is about a serial killer who stalked gay men in New York City in the 90s. Um, it's obviously very upsetting subject matter, but it's handled so sensitively and it puts a lot of focus on the families of the people who were killed and also on the activists who fought to keep queer people safe in a time when we were being attacked and discriminated against at every turn, including by the police. Um, it's really brilliant storytelling, and yeah, I can't recommend it highly enough. So check that out. And that's about it. Please follow me on social media at Spark Parade. Will I ever stop asking? No. No, I will not. And until next time, bye! When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.